as I indicated there a moment ago. Would you turn with me now to the book of Psalms and Psalm 46? It's a short psalm. We're going to look at it in its entirety. Let us first of all read it fully. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the seas, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And that word selah in our translations is a kind of a grammatical point simply telling us to stop, pause and think of what we've just read. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob our refuge. Selah, come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolation he hath made in the earth. He makes wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And particularly, we read these that, this phrase in a reading there in, in Chronicles. It occurs again in verse 10 of this psalm. The psalmist counsel, I want us to take up and think of, be still and know that I am God. I want to go back with you over a hundred years to the town of my own birth, to Stornoway, the island of Lewis. The Great War has just finished. It was a sense of relief and thankfulness to so many who were alive and were going home. Many of them had come from Royal Naval Reserve units. They had been out in dangerous waters. They had fought through hard battles. But all of that was now behind them. At last, they set their face to their familiar isle. It was Tuesday, 31st of December, 1919. 283 men were assembled on the pier in Kyle. They wanted to leave as quick as possible and to get onto the first boat out. There were two boats leaving for Stornoway that day, that night. <clears throat> the Sheila and the Isle on the island, with the expectation of both boats coming home with all the people on board, families were making preparations for that arrival. Houses were being cleaned. Clothes were being laid out. Food was made ready. Lights were burning late. 
There were high expectations in all the villages, in all the homes. So much activity, so much talk. All of them excited. A father, a husband, a son, a brother was coming home. The expectancy was high as the Ayalir set sail from Kyle. Just about midnight. It arrived off the harbour entrance in Stornoway at half past two in the morning. But it didn't quite turn in as it should have. And so it ended up hitting the rocks at the entrance to the harbour at half past two in the morning. Only 20 foot from the shore, but it was dark and there was a big swell running. It was rough water. And of these 283 men, over 200 were lost on that one event. Some of them, some of them were washed up on the foot of their own crofts on that Wednesday morning, New Year's Day. And in the days that followed, many families were utterly broken, shattered. They had to make a trip into Stornoway to collect their loved ones. But never ever did they think that this was the circumstance they were doing so. Pain and sorrow was deep throughout the whole of the island. Nobody talked about this for years and years and years afterwards. It was so traumatic and painful it was put to the back of the memory. It was too sore. And only in recent years has there been a memorial raised for that event. And in the Free Church in Stornoway at that time, there was the Reverend Kenneth Cameron. He was very aware of what had happened. And as a minister having to lead the congregation in worship on the following Sunday, he had to preach. But what was he going to say? So much hurt and so much pain. He went round as many homes as he could to visit them. It was hard to enter into their agony. So what could he do? What did he do? His text on that Sunday morning was Psalm 46 and verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Every one of us, we're not going to be, I trust, we're not going to be going through that same kind of severe experience as I've just outlined. But every one of us can be on that path and taste a little or a bit more of that experience. What is it that waits for us in 2024? It's unknown. But the best that we can do is to take this psalm with us into 2024. None of us will be free from some of the experiences. We all will have to drink of the cup in some measure. But may we listen, not to what the minister says, but listen to what God says. Close our hand round it and take it tight to our soul in the events of what might happen as this year unfolds for us. What am I going to say 
for the structure and the commitment of this psalm. I want, first of all, to think of the confidence that the psalmist had in the preacher was seeking to breed in God. Confidence in God. But then he goes on to speak about the commitment of God. And then the third thing I want us to think about is the comfort to his soul. Confidence, commitment, comfort. So let's backpedal a bit to come to the first of these points. Confidence in God. It takes a cool nerve and it takes a confident, strong faith in the midst of the trauma of what we've just outlined from a reading in Second Chronicles, from the experiences that we've outlined, even from some things that have visited our own lives. It takes a strong, strong faith and a cool nerve to stop. Stand still and start thinking. We often feel we've got to do something in these circumstances. What happened in a reading there in Second Chronicles? Well, God's people have been blessed by God. And that blessing attracted the attention of the enemies round about them. Jehoshaphat was bringing about a reform in the land. And that reform was noted. And these other nations came to attack them. And when you go back and read that Second Chronicles chapter 20 chapter, you'll find that five times in the verses that we read, there is this reference, a great multitude. So it wasn't just a little skirmish that they were engaged in. It wasn't going to be easily, it wasn't going to be quickly dealt with. There was this great nation, great multitude of nation after nation after nation coming, rising up, a vast army. And we read there right at the very beginning in verse 3 of that chapter, fear was detected and felt amongst God's people. They felt so vulnerable against such a vast army. So what could they do? They did the best they could. They gathered together and they sought the face of God. They prayed. They spoke to the Lord and they looked to the Lord. We know not what to do, but our eyes are fixed on thee. There is a counsel for ourselves. Start with the Lord. But here in this psalm, the psalmist tells us to do more than just look to the Lord and lean upon the Lord. This psalm not just simply looks to the Lord, this psalm speaks about the Lord. Think through the Christian's position, but start with God our Lord. And therefore we've got today, and whenever we're in this kind of situation, we've got to push all the pressures and the problems at arm's distance from us. We've got to lift our gaze as we were seeing in Psalm 121. I to the hills will lift mine eyes. And we've got to start thinking and reflecting upon great truths of the Christian message and our Christian faith. It's a rock on which we can stand. 
when all around us there's change or chaos. Fill our thoughts, our vision. Promote our confidence in God because we know it. We've just come through the Christmas season, but we know it all the time. There's always that pressure to suck us. To suck us into the mentality and the thinking of the world round about us. There are dreams set before us in advertising. There are extravagant offers made available to us. There are promises held out. Try this. That's the pressures we're all under. And we've got to hold them all at arm's distance. And we've got to be still that we might hear what God has to say to us. In these pressure situations, we can indeed be severely tested. But we've got to remind ourselves that God acts on behalf of his people. And so therefore, do not let anyone, do not let anything rob the Christian of our comfort, of our strength. And instead, whatever the trauma in which we're passing through, Lean on and think of our God. All he is in himself, in his character. All that he has revealed of his health and his provision for his people. What God is. He is right now for every one of his children. You and me. And in every moment of the year that is before us. So what does he say? How does he start that process of reflection and thinking? What's his confidence then? Two simple words. First of all, he starts with a description of God. God is what? God is a refuge and our strength. That word refuge occurs in the first verse and in the last verse, and it's got two very different meanings. Here in verse 1 at the very beginning, this refuge that is spoken of is the kind of refuge where you get peace and quietness, where you go a, a seclusion area. <clears throat> we've all done it, maybe. We've all got our own place that we can go to. The shed, the byre, the beach the hills. We've all got that little place that we're familiar with that we can go to because it's a quiet spot for us. This is what the psalmist is speaking about. God is that quiet spot for us. He is a refuge and our strength. And these two words that he's given to us here, they're not an exhaustive description of our God but they are a selective description of our God. The way God speaks and the way he approaches his people is so often determined by the circumstances that his people are in. The word that he uses to reveal himself and to draw near to his people is appropriate to that situation. Our Christian faith is not an abstract thing of theories. It hasn't got a mere abstract setting it's a concrete situation that he deals with refuge 
in the midst of chaos, God is a quiet resource, a stillness, a peace in the midst of chaos of our life today. When we're exposed to danger, these people, ourselves, we can contemplate God and we can know from his hand that peace. When you go to Isaiah chapter 4, when you go to Isaiah chapter 24, verse 4, the image that is given to us there is of a storm coming over the horizon of life. What is happening when any, any storm arises? Boats and everyone else heads for shelter, protection, dryness. So therefore, when the storms come into our lives, to whom do we flee? We flee and hide ourselves in that rock, which is and who is our Lord, our God. He's a refuge for us. But also he's told that he is a strength. And the focus the psalmist is deliberately given to us. He's not thinking of his own resources. Second Chronicles. He's not thinking of the resources of the army that they've got. No. <clears throat> he is thinking always and only of the strength that there is in God. Who is able to bear us up until the storm overpasses. Because God never leaves, nor does he ever abandon his own. One of the favorite well-known passages, we've talked about this place of quietness and peace. And you'll always find, again, I'm only simply recalling my own experiences at home. You'll find that there's a warm, there's a warm path to the shed. There's a well-laid track to the shore, out in the hills. There's this track where a person has gone often for that quietness and peace. So it is. One of the well-known passages that I have, we all have our own ones. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, do not be downcast, for I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. A passage like that, we all have our familiar texts we can go back to in times of trauma. That's what God is. He is a refuge. He is our strength. We're told also, he's a very present help in trouble. What it means is, he's a well-proven help in trouble. There is this consistency in the quality of God's character and dealings with his people. There is this consistency about him. He never lets his people go. He's a very present help in time of trouble. We've come through the stage perhaps, but let me just try it again with you. Thumb back over the diary of 2023. Look back over other situations in which you were in. Perhaps intense distress. Trials or testing visiting you. Breaking on the shores of your life. In that diary of life then. 
How has God fared? What have his credentials been? What reputation does he have? The psalmist tells us he was a very present help to me in the fullness of his aid, assisting his people then, assisting his people now. When we are in need, the Lord is never late and the Lord is never lax or lacking. His timing is always precise and his resource put down upon us is always complete. This is what God is at all times, in all circumstances, to all of his people. The description given, he's a refuge, he's our strength, he's a very present help. The consistency of God's dealings with us. So if that's the description that he's given, the second word that I want us to take from this, this verse is, what's the deduction that he makes? Very well. We've been told all of this. What conclusion do we come to? Verse 2a tells it to us. Therefore, it's a logical step he's giving us. It's something that's deducted from verse 1. Therefore, we will not be afraid. There's a solid logic to the Christian's faith. We're not driven into a corner champing at every shadow. We're not there in a corner looking over our shoulder with a great degree of expectancy or apprehension, rather. No. Fear not. Fear can infect our faith, distracting us from the Lord. We can be intimidated just as these fishermen were in the boat with the wind and the waves breaking over the boat. They were intimidated and they were distracted by all these things. So can we. And we've got to take on board and to our minds the things we know about our God. Just the way the psalmist does it here for us. And we've got to make that conclusion that he gives us. Fear not. But is our God equal to the demands of the situation we're in? When he says fear not, what's the scale of that injunction? Again, the psalmist is at pains to labour and to answer that very question for us. He says, yes, okay, though the waters, he says, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the seas, though the waters throw thereof, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, he's there picturing for us a picture, painting it for us, the hills, we think they're permanent. The water and the waves, we think they're powerful. All you've got to do is think back of the storms we've had these last few weeks and months. And there you've got waves breaking over walls, sweeping everything away. They are so powerful, and we think the hills are so permanent. And what the psalmist is saying, oh, well, now, even these symbols and things that you think of powerful and permanent, even these things can be moved. <coughs> We've had an earthquake in Iceland. We've had an eruption in Iceland. 
These things that we thought were so permanent, the earth, stone, it just melts and runs away. The things that we thought were permanent, that's what happens. But the contrast is said, yes, that's what happens to things around about you. But God's word, it's permanent and it's powerful. There can be cataclysmic events in us like there are earthquakes round about us. There can be these things. And when they happen, they're dramatic. Our life can be indeed shaken to the core by something that's in store for us in this year. But again, the words come echoing to us. Fear not. Fear not. Our confidence is in our God. So that's the first thing. Description, deduction. But let's move on quickly. Not only do we have confidence in God, we have the second thing I want to think of here is the commitment of God. Let's follow through that logic even further. What are the implications of fear not? Well, let's go down to verse 4. And there the psalmist is saying, there's a river. A river that makes glad the city of God. What's he talking about here? He's talking about three simple words I want to leave with his commitment. He's talking, first of all, about an abundant supply. Any city in these days in the Old Testament required a good substantial stock of food. They could store it. But they also needed a good secure source of water. And if you wanted to capture a city, there were walls and everything else. It took years to go around them. But if you wanted to capture a city, you looked for their source of water. And you poisoned it or denied them and directed it elsewhere. That's what you could do. That was their weakness. And what we're told here is, <clears throat> no. You and I can be boxed in. You and I can be surrounded with any kind and every kind of problem, but we're not shut out. We're told here God's commitment, he provides an abundant supply of spiritual life and food for our soul. And it breaks down into smaller streams so that every one of us is refreshed. The river, we're told in Revelation chapter 22 at the beginning, a river flows out from the throne of God. God himself is the source of that river and he himself is the substance of it because he alone is the one who can refresh his people. Our lives underneath extreme pressure. But there is a security of our spiritual life guaranteed to all who are, who are in need. We would be less than human if we were not afraid at times when such things come upon us. But there is nothing that man can do. There is nothing that man can do to cut off the source of our spiritual life. Our water is always fresh. We never dry. There's a beautiful text in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, I think. And it's Peter that's writing, and remember that. It's Peter that's writing. He speaks about the manifold grace of God. 
And that word manifold is the word that could be used for the full spectrum of light. When you think of light broken down into basic colours, that's what Peter is talking about. The manifold grace of God, the full spectrum of God's needs to meet his every, of God's resource to meet his every need. And remember, it was Peter that wrote these words. And if anybody could give a testimony to the manifold grace of God, surely he can, that we can hear and listen to. He did so much dramatic things against us, Lord. There you have the manifold provision of God. So yes, the commitment of God, the first word I said, the abundant supply. But then he goes on also to speak about not only the abundant supply, but he goes on to speak about the almighty keeper. Verse 5a. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. There is that security as well as that supply that God ensures for his people. When the Shekinah glory of God was in the midst of God's people in the Old Testament, the people were unbeatable because God is indestructible. As long as he's present with them, they're safe. That doesn't come from any inherent might they have, or ability or resources or experience or armies. None of these things qualify for this heading. He is the almighty keeper only because he is with his people. Again, thinking of the disciples out in the boat, and they were afraid of the storm round about them. And they saw the Lord coming to them in the storm, walking on the water. And he says, do not be afraid, it is I. That's what we have to remember. That's what they had to remember. The prophet Haggai had to address a problem. We'll perhaps hear about it. At least something of it tonight. But they, people were coming out of exile. They'd go back to build up the walls. They had problems. They gave up. They stopped. And the ministry of Haggai was to encourage them to start again. And time after time after time, only three chapters, but Haggai's ministry to the people was, consider, consider, think, think, think. What are you going to think about? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Only recently I came across a text <clears throat> Um, in that episode where David was going to build the house for God, going to build this great temple, Second Chronicle, Second Samuel, and there was this great furore about it, and God spoke and said something quite significant to David. All the time that you came out of Egypt, I walked with you. That's a tremendous thought to hold on to. I walked with you. God keeps his people safe because he's with them. That commitment of God, yes, abundant supply. Yes, almighty keeper. Third, picture that's given to us of the commitment of God. He is the assured helper. We read verse 5. Go to the end of it. God shall help her. <clears throat> and that right early, that phrase right early, 
What it means basically is at the first crack of dawn in the morning. That's the image that's given to us. At the first crack of dawn in the morning. That's when God is going to be there, the assured helper for his people. At the dawning of the morning. He's not an idle spectator. God is not standing on the sidelines watching his people going through danger. When we need help, God is there to supply it for us. I will never, no, never, ever will I forsake you, my people. In the early morning, when that storm puts the first clouds over the horizon towards our life for that day, when we see the billows and the darkness of the clouds approaching, distant as they are, we know what they're going to bring, but in that very moment, we're told right early, the Lord is there to help us. We can be in dire straits, <clears throat> our backs against the wall. We can have tribulations. It's a fact of spiritual life. But we can all look back in our diaries. Situations we've been in when we've been exposed and vulnerable. Potential disaster was there facing us. But at the very point of our need, God stepped in, stopped and protected us. It's all a question of God's timing. We think, Lord, do it now because I need you now. And the Lord says, no. He comes perfect timing. And when we see that timing, we realize just how perfect it is. So yes, we have it there, the commitment, the confidence. What's the third thing? As we move on, the comfort to a soul. Two very simple thoughts, again, about the comfort to a soul. What do we have there? Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. Why does he give that description here? What's the significance of it? Well, this phrase, the Lord of hosts, first of all appears in the book of Samuel. And it's very significant where it does appear and where it does start. Because in these days, in Samuel, God's people were saying to themselves, come on, we want a king like all these other nations around about us. We want a king like them. And here is a psalmist, no, here is the prophet saying, no. You want a king? This is the kind of king you'll have. Not on the measure or on the description or the picture of all these other kings around about you. You want a king? This is your king. He's a king who's over all the expanse of heaven. All the vastness of the stars are underneath his jurisdiction, control and movement. That's the kind of king you're going to have. You do have. That's the kind of king we have. And we've got to keep on going back to that picture time after time in the full breadth and height and depth of that image. That's the one we're called upon to trust in and to follow. Power and might. 
not with anybody else or anything else round about us, but in the Lord who's with us, the presence of the Lord of hosts to keep us safe. Yes, that's a comfort to our soul. But then one last thought, not only the protection of the Lord of hosts, but we also have the protection of the God of Jacob. The very last phrase in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is a refuge. So far, what we've highlighted and set out and the picture we've painted is a tremendous, attractive one for any and every Christian. But we can ask ourselves the question, is it mine? Can all of these things be mine? Can I experience them? When he's speaking about God being our refuge, our source of peace. When we talk about his being the assured helper, the almighty Lord, the assurance supply. All of these things, are they mine? We can think of ourselves and our lives. Well, there's so much that I've done to disqualify any thought of them coming to me. I've been so inconsistent in my life and in my living. I've let the Lord down so often. I'm disqualified. And what we have here is we're drawn back to Jacob. There's the fickleness of Jacob. He was devious. He always thought the Lord needed a helping hand. There was so much inconsistency in him. There was so much disappointment about him. But God had entered into a covenant with David. And it was a covenant that arose from God himself alone. It was not conditioned. It was not drawn. It did not rest upon who David was, what he did, or anything about him. And that's a tremendous comfort to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because we sometimes put ourselves beside Jacob. And we can see the things that would disqualify us. And we've got God coming to us as he came there and says, No, it is the pleasure of God in his grace to those who are unworthy to give such comfort and assurance. It's not from us. It's from God. Malachi 3 and verse 6. I am the God of Jacob. I change not. And then he is a refuge. And this time the word is that impregnable fortress. The city walls. That's the image that's given to us with the use of the word refuge now. If we are attacked, if we are harassed, if there's so much we've got to deal with in this coming year, so what? We have this defense. We have our God as our refuge for quietness. We have the assurance of his supply, the assurance of his help. We have so much going for us, despite all that we are in ourselves. Our Christian faith does not leave us cowed or rattled or apologetic in one whit or measure. We are disturbed. We are troubled. Let us remember 
and speak to our soul who we are and who God is to us. The confidence in God, the description that's given, the deduction that's made. The commitment of God, he has the source of our abundant supply. He is our mighty keeper. He's our assured helper. Then the comfort of all these things as we take them to ourselves. He is the presence of the Lord of hosts with us. And we're given the assurance of the protection of the God of Jacob. We know not what 2024 might hold or bring. But like I said at the beginning, take some of these thoughts, hold them tight and take them to our heart and soul. So that come be, whatever it might hold, we can be encouraged as this year unfolds. Let us pray. <clears throat> our Lord and our God, thou hast given us thy word to be a source of strength and encouragement to us. Thou hast given us thy word to be a light upon our path. Lord, thy word draws our, time, our minds time after time back to thyself. And so as we thought of thee this day, may something that has been given to us stay with us. And we pray, Lord, that we might take it with us out into this world in the days and the weeks and the months that now unfold to us. And we pray, Lord, that we might know what it is to stand firm upon this one solid foundation, the character and the commitment and the pleasure and the grace of God to each and every one of his people. Hear us, our Lord, and bless thy word to us now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Let us close by singing from the words of Psalm 37. Psalm 37, and we're singing to read from verse 3. Psalm 37 and verse 3 to verse 8, 5 stanzas. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good. And so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God. He'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God commit. Him trust it bring to pass shall he. And like unto the light he shall thy righteousness display. And he thy judgment shall bring forth like noontide of the day. Rest in the Lord and patiently wait for him. Do not fret for him who prospering in his way success and sin doth get. Do thou from anger cease and wrath. See thou forsake also. Fret not thyself in any wise that evil thou shouldst do. 37, 3 through 8, set thou thy trust upon the Lord. <coughs> set thou thy trust upon the Lord and be thou Thyself in God, and He'll give.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest upon and abide with you all. Amen. Amen.